Hi friends, before we get started, I wanted to let you know a great way you can support the podcast. I recently launched a Patreon page for the podcast, which is a way that you, the listeners, can help keep the podcast going. Giving at 4 or $10 a month not only gets you access to bonus questions with the guests and exclusive episodes, but you're also helping me cover some of the costs associated with hosting a podcast. And for that, I am so grateful. To find out more about supporting the podcast on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash diapersanddisciples, or visit the show notes for today's episode. Without further ado, this is Diapers and Disciples, episode 41. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and today's episode is part two of a five-part series on discipleship of our kids. Today's episode is with Ruth Thompson, and we're chatting about a way of guiding children into a deeper relationship with Christ and His Church. It's called Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and we're talking all about what it is and how to incorporate strategies from Catechesis of the Good Shepherd into our homes. We recorded this episode back in May, and it is one of my favorites, so I'm excited to finally share it with you. Thanks so much for listening in. Here's my chat with Ruth. Hi, Ruth. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Amber. It's good to meet you. Could just tell us a little bit about you, your family, and what it looks like for you to live out the Great Commission as a mom. I've been married coming up on 30 years, and we have seven children, and we're expecting our sixth grandchild, so that's pretty exciting. And um, I have homeschooled almost the whole time, uh, you know, once my children got to be of school age. Um, and so we still have three children, well, sorry, next year, I'll only have two children still home being homeschooled. So it overlaps with the grandchildren. Um, the, the fact that I have children at home, I don't know that I'll ever have an exactly empty nest, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, um, although, you know, I won't, the grandchildren live far, far away. So in that sense, it's empty, but, um, but still very much involved in young children. So that's kind of nice. Wonderful. So how old is your, your youngest? She's 11. Okay. Yep. She'll turn 12 in the summer and my son will turn 29 in December. My oldest. Wow. So quite a range. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you said not everyone is local to you. So you have some, some kids that are further away now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in New Hampshire and I have um, two married children in Phoenix and one in uh, Naples, Florida. So too far away, but nice places to visit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's always good for a nice vacation then. Yeah. And they like to come here in the summer since it's so hot where they are. So that's right. good. That makes sense. Good. Well, I really wanted to talk to you today about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd because I know um, m- some of your children, maybe all of your children went through that program. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. All of so them. Ma- Great. So maybe you could just start off by telling us a little bit about what it is and how you got involved with it. Sure. So um, when my oldest was about the age of your oldest, three or four years old, I um, I had already been interested in Maria Montessori. I had read about her. Uh, well, I had read The Discovery of the Child and talked with various friends about Maria Montessori quite a bit. And then um, 
just, you know, by God's providence, I was having, I was invited to have dinner with a friend um, at a friend's house. And she, she's still a good, very good friend of mine. Um, she has children that are um, a similar span of ages, but they're just older than mine. So her youngest is now, um, I'm trying to think, going into freshman in college. So she, anyway, the point being that she had already been interested in education a little longer than I was. She had a friend visiting her who was being trained for catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And she thought I would enjoy meeting her. And that's where things really took off because then there was training in the area for me um, right after that. So it was um, very providential. <laughs> That's great. So maybe uh, taking a step back, you mentioned um, uh, the Montessori uh, method a little bit, just for people who aren't familiar with that. Could you tell us a little bit um, about what that is? Sure. So the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is a Montessori-based catechesis. Um, It was begun by Sophia Cavalletti and John Agobi. John Agobi had worked with Maria Montessori. So what that means is that There are a lot of elements of Montessori style education that really are um, some things we take for granted right now. But she was one of the first people to use, you know, child size furniture, hands on sort of materials in order to convey concepts. Um, uh, But again, you know, this is all very familiar to us now. She also is very attentive to developmental stages and noticed that children learned best when they were interested, which sounds very obvious, but it was not entirely clear at the time, I guess. Um, Mm. And she, um, so she was very interested in making materials that allowed the teacher to not exactly disappear, but the teacher is no longer a teacher, but more of a guide. So the Mm. the materials actually are what teach the child. Um, When you bring that into catechesis, it works something like this. You have materials, uh, the easiest one for a lot of people to understand um, conceptually is like a nativity set. So if you wanna speak about the birth of Christ, then you you use a nativity set, although you pare it down, you you try to um, narrow the focus. That's that's another Montessori principle that you you focus on something particular in order to um, understand it and then put it back in the the hole. So, so, for example, you would focus on the adoration of the shepherds. So you're, you would have a booklet with scripture in it that is direct from the Bible. Um, that's another thing, both with Montessori and Cavaletti. There's nothing that's done that, that dumbs things down for the child. There's a great respect for the child and also a great respect for God, of course. But, I mean, that sounds, again, obvious. But um, the, the concept is that, God is already in relation with this child and mm-hmm. you are there as a servant to aid that relationship. So you mm-hmm. give them God's word, you give them the scripture, although it's it's edited in the sense that a particular passage is chosen, but it is not a child's Bible, if you if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Um, okay. So not like, yeah, it, the words are not changed. I mean, obviously, it's already been translated from Greek or Hebrew, but in any case. Um, so you give them the scripture, and then the materials help them to think about that scripture. So you move the figures in order to enact the story, in a sense. What that does, then, is that you can 
Um, and then you, you, you talk about it with them a bit and you give them some wonder questions like, I wonder what that was like for Mary. What, what do you think she was thinking? Um, you know, there's one with the Annunciation. What do you think it, she was thinking when the angel came? What would that have been like? Do we, do we hear in the story what, uh, what Mary was thinking or feeling? Which you do. <laughs> um, uh, but in any case, you, then the, the material is put on the shelf and any of the children in the room that have been shown the material can work on that whenever they like. So you have um, you you have children. This is um, a Montessori classroom, which many people are familiar with, but not everyone. To, to a lot of people, it looks like chaos. It's a very ordered. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very ordered chaos. I, I would say it's, it's not chaotic, mm. but you yeah. um, you, you know you have children working on different things, and you can have one or two children working on a, on something together. Um, but they, uh, a lot of the, the real learning is happening when the child works alone or with one other child. Hmm. So not necessarily with the teacher, the teacher starts it and puts the material before the child explains it and then steps back. And the idea is to allow God to work. Um, and he does. So it's really beautiful that way. <laughs> Wow, I love that. I love the idea of thinking of the teacher just as the guide, and like like you'd mentioned, not um, you know dumbing down any of the words in scripture, like oversimplifying it, but just giving the children God's word and allowing the yes. Holy Spirit to work and the Lord to speak to them. So I I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the idea of putting something back on the shelf and then um, the kids can access it basically mm-hmm. are, they choose what they want to work on is that how it works when they come to catechesis of the good shepherd or is there yes. like an initial presentation so it, it can be done different ways um i have um i don't know whether a, a purist would do it the way i would do it <laughs> but in any case for, for many years and effectively i have done it in the in a way that um in this way, I should say, which is that when the children arrive, um, if they're if they're straggling in, they might find something to work with while they're waiting. But pretty much right near the beginning, I will do a group presentation. So we'll have a group of children sitting on a rug on the floor um, and I'll have a material and I'll speak to them. I'll introduce it, try to connect it with what what we've done before. Um, so, for example, if if we, I mentioned the Annunciation before. That would be presented during Advent because for obvious reasons, I guess. <laughs> um, and we would talk about how we're all waiting and preparing for this great feast of Christmas that's coming. And here's someone who waited like us, but in a very particular way. And so and you, you kind of introduce it in that sense, put it in a little bit of context. And then you, sh- you read the scripture and show them the material and have your wonder questions. And the, the chance to sort of meditate on it at that point is a, is a group work. Sometimes that works incredibly well. And sometimes it, it doesn't, but that's okay because really when the child internalizes it is when they're working on their own. So sometimes we've had amazing conversations of, you know, like a little, a a parish of, you know, three, four, five year olds, six. Well, actually lately I've been working with first and second grade. So that's more like six, seven, eight year olds, but, Mm-hmm. You can have a real conversation with them and they help each other. So they spark ideas in one another, um, you, you know, and say, well, 
I think Mary was really frightened. Well, I don't think she was frightened because she wouldn't have said this, you know, and they, they kind of go back and forth and they think about it. Um, and that's very special for the, for the catechist. And again, you, you're there as a guide and, um, you know, you often get, you often get things like, you know, a child saying, um, uh, a child saying something like, well, my, my grandparents have sheep, you know, because if you did the, the shepherds, for example, my grandparents had sheep and they had to slaughter a sheep one time. And you, and you kind of, you know, you have to, rain you have to kind in. of rein in the, the tangents, you know, that sort of thing. And, and Sweet. stuff. And, and stop them from using the angel as a as a dive bomber and you know things like that. <laughs> and, sure, they are they are children and they and but they do actually respond very well to the fact that this is something serious and mysterious and worth pondering. It's joyful, but it's also a very peaceful environment. Um, so you know, it, like I said, things like that do happen. But by and large, the children. Um, and again, because they're guided through that and taught it a little bit um, how to how to act in this space, how not to interrupt each other's work, that we use quieter voices and that we don't run, um, that we can, you know, run around in other places. But here we're really working on learning these things. And so in any case, that that they really respond well to it. It's pretty amazing hmm. to see. Yeah, that's great. So to set that you know, that peaceful environment, I know you had mentioned just kind of mentioning the things like this isn't where we run around. And is that, how do you set that environment? Is it just from the first initial meeting with the, with the children that you're kind of setting that, setting that up? It's a little bit of, um, it, it, it has a lot to do with the beginning. If you have children that are coming back to an atrium that, because they're, um, so Montessori age groups are used, which is ages three to six, six to nine and nine to 12. So you have children in there who model the behavior for the younger children. So um, if you are uh, in the first year that you're starting will be a little more challenging. It might take a little bit longer depending on the children and the size of the group. And, you know, if you have more than one person trained that can guide them through it, all of that would make a difference. But, um, but then the older children, coming back to it again, um, they just fall into it. They just know exactly what, how to work. And, and of course they're modeling the behavior for the younger children and they just follow along. Um, my mother used to say, raise the first one right and the others will follow. <laughs> hmm. So it's a bit like that. <laughs> but the, but the, the other hard thing is for the catechist not to give a bad example. Um, so for example, it's tempting if, uh, so we have things uh, where they are pouring water or water and wine to understand the um, preparation of the chalice, for example. And the, the cruets that are used are actually glass. Um, so things can break and spill. And if you notice that something is breaking or spilling, you are not supposed to um, gasp <laughs> or, um, you know, actually, sure. <gasps> you're not supposed to be shocked <laughs> or, or amazed. Um, and you're not supposed to run, really. <laughs> mm. I mean, if a, if a child is about to get hurt, of course you run. But but by and large, it's just the cruet that's going to get hurt. And you, you know, respond right away. But you don't, everything is just calm and peaceful. So if you are calm and peaceful, then they tend to pick up on that and they're able to, mm. to do it too. Um it, That's like great. I said, it, it's not perfect, but, uh, you know, it, that doesn't happen at all times, but it does happen um, 
more than you would think uh, quite a bit. Mm. So that's great. So why, why items that are like say breakable as opposed to, um, you know, just maybe something that's plastic or what goes into like the material of the items? I guess what's the importance of that? Yeah, there's a couple principles. Um, and this is really from Montessori also, um, that for example, uh, you probably noticed with your children, plastic cups, well, you might still use lids with everyone, but once you take the lids off the cups, plastic cups tip over a lot more quickly than mm, a glass. Yeah. Um, so while it doesn't break and it's very good to have that outside, for example, there's a natural sort of weight to something, you know, more solid, like, like a glass, um, that's a plastic and it, the child learns how to manage that actually more easily than, than something plastic in a lot of ways. The, the downside is, of course, if something breaks, it, you know, if it if it falls, then it does can break. So, um, but then you teach them actually also how to clean it up. So you wouldn't with broken glass per se, but but they learn. Um, so, for example, if you want to teach them how to how to prepare the chalice, there's a lot of steps that come before that. They learn first how to pour just dry rice from pitcher to pitcher. Um, and then if, if the rice spills, which it tends to, then they learn how to clean that up with a little whisk broom. Um, they learn then how to sponge, moving water from one bowl to another with a sponge. Because then when they go to pour water, they'll already know how to clean up anything that spills. Hmm. Then once they know how to pour water back and forth from pitcher to pitcher, and that's shown you know, painstakingly, carefully, and slowly, um, and they can repeat the action again as often as they want, and they and they love it, so they repeat that one a lot. Then they already know how to clean up any spills, and then you teach them how to pour through a funnel, and then you might teach them how to prepare the cruets because they're pouring through a funnel, and then um, and then only then do you teach them how to prepare the chalice. So they already have this ability. All these abilities have been built up, and now they can pour a lot of wine and just a few drops of water and you can say what did i just do what what happened there why is there so much wine and so little water you know what is the priest doing it's so that they can really narrow in on that moment in the mass and um and hopefully learn something about it uh in fact definitely learn something about it um the words um are in the you know, in the Catholic mass are by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. So you refer to the, you, you might need to tell them that the word divinity means God and the wine represents the divinity and the water represents us, the humanity. And then you read the words again. Okay. What does this mean? What's happening here? And you, and you kind of leave them with that mystery so that then when they go to do the work, they're thinking, wow, water and wine, how does this, what does this mean? Humanity and mm. God, and it's all together. And you ask them a question like, well, those few drops of water there, can you see them now? No. Can you see, is there a way to separate that water from the wine now? No, no. So what does this mean? And when does this get used in the mass? What does the priest do with this afterwards? And so that's the kind of thing we're doing with them. And, but you've built up all these practical skills beforehand. So, I mean, you started with the, 
<laughs> he started with a smaller question of why we use, you know, um, like glass instead of plastic, but you, you give them the skills to do it also is all I'm trying to say. Mm. I That's like I beautiful. Around in a circle. <laughs> no, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I know, so catechesis of the good shepherd um, involves, you know, the children, I'm guessing involves the children learning about what's going on at the mass and then also scripture Mm -hmm. and like the liturgical year what would you say is like the main goal so like after a year of going through the program or what what are you trying to teach your kids over the course of you know the time that they go through catechesis so it is um you're you're helping them work on their relationship with god and Mm -hmm. In that sense, you are initiating them into a fuller participation in the church. So that's why you are living the liturgical year with them, and you are um, trying to help them understand the Mass, which they should be going to already. Uh, you know, some young children don't go to Mass, of course, um, but um, but in any case, you're, you're making it, you're, uh, a lot of the... Um, particular works, when you learn them, you write down, you learn how to write down notes about them. It's almost like Montessori was actually a a doctor, a physician by training. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a lab report when you write the the lesson. It's really kind of funny. Yeah, Yeah. it has, you know, the goals and the, uh, the way it's written down, you know, when you write a lab report, how you have a hypothesis and materials and that sort of thing, sources. Sure. So it's written in a similar sort of way, not with a hypothesis, because we don't have to. Um, <laughs> we don't have to have a hypothesis per se, but but your the goal that's often there written down is greater participation in the liturgy. So in any of the liturgical things, it's that you want them. It's not an end in itself to learn how to prepare the chalice, but it's an it's toward the end of when they're at mass that they notice the chalice and understand what's actually happening on the on the altar. So. Um, I don't know if that helps. <laughs> that that does. That's great. That's beautiful. Um, and you mentioned uh, something earlier in in atrium. Is that just like the location of where uh, where catechesis yes. takes place? Or okay. Yes. Oh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that up. So an atrium is the name of the prepared environment used for catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And you could do it in any sort of room. In fact, you could do it in one of the rooms of your house. Although. Um, it, it's nice to have it be a special, um, I would recommend having a shelf that you either turn toward the wall or close up in some way that they, that you don't have access all the time because hmm. then it just becomes more commonplace and that, that, but that's more of a practical concern and sure. atrium just means that space that's prepared to do this work. The word is actually from in, um, churches, I'm guessing it's Latin, um, although I don't, I haven't looked that up, um, but an atrium was a, a place where catechesis was done. It was a place between the world and the church. So for people who hadn't been fully initiated into the church, um, a place where they could learn more. That's great. So um, you'd mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned that part about maybe if you're doing something at home to have a shelf that's set apart or um, a way to indicate that it's, you know, special and maybe not something that's accessed all the time. Um, I I was curious if there are ways to incorporate methods or strategies from catechesis of the Good Shepherd into our home life. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I was thinking about that because it really made such a difference uh, how I spoke to my children about God and about things at, at church. Um, and it, it, it certainly, I, could, I can very highly recommend reading The Religious Potential of the Child by Sophia Cavaletti. It's, okay. um, it's an excellent book and it's very easy to read. It's not very long, and, but it has a lot of anecdotal evidence. So it's very enjoyable. Um, things like, you know, with this child, this happened um, kind of anecdotes. And um, so, I mean, I think that 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 alone would, would affect how you actually speak about God to your children um, and give, give you a way to speak more effectively because, because she really understood that she understood that Christ was the answer. But what she was trying to understand was how the child posed the question. Hmm. So, so all of the materials and the things that she does and the way that she speaks is attentive to the mystery of the child as well as to the mystery of God. And, and that way you're not talking over their heads and you're trying to understand where they're at. And, and yet they have this capacity to understand the deepest things and this desire to. So that, that's one thing. But then um, practically speaking, um, and again, I think this is not uncommon now as a, as a way of speaking, but you want to live the liturgical year with your children very much. Um, so the, like I said, the whole point of it is not just greater participation in the liturgy, but in the liturgical year and also in, in understanding scripture. So um, having, for example, a prayer corner in the house, um, we have a table uh, in our kitchen, actually, and we use the liturgical color for the season, um, so purple during Lent and Advent. And right now, um, I actually still have white on mine, and I need to change it to green for ordinary time. Come to think of it, um, but we have, you know, a cloth with liturgical color. We have a candle. We have um, on the wall above, but although it could just be, you know, on the table, we have some of each. We have some icons for our name saints. Um, a crucifix, uh, anything like that, that helps focus your mind and your attention. Um, that's something that's done also in the atrium. And it's a place where the child can go whenever they want to. If they want to say a prayer, they can light a candle. That adds a certain attraction mm. to it. Um, and you, of course, want to be careful, you know, in the atrium and at home with candles and lighting fire. But, but if they can be taught to do it, in a way that's careful or with that they can only do it when you're there or that you do it for them. Um, it can be safe and it does help with that. Um, there's something <laughs> actually, it's funny. I, I listened to, I think it was your first uh, podcast that you did with your husband and you talk about Huga. Oh yes. <laughs> <the> yes. The importance of candles. I actually got the book from the library and um, and was reading it and about how many candles they use in in, um, in Denmark and all. But right, um, the candle. It's really it is amazing. You know, it you you light a candle and everything just calms down. Everything's more peaceful, and there's a focus. Um, and uh, you know, Christ is the light, so it makes some sense there that um, that that would be the case. But in any case, um, just practically speaking, having a prayer corner like that is really wonderful. We do our morning prayer there. We actually, as a family, do our evening prayer in the living room. We have 
um, we have also another, you know, religious images there, but, um, but still the fact that it's, that there's these centers in your home of, of that, because, you know, we're very bodily creatures. And, um, and so our, our body, like, you know, that feeling when you walk into a church and, you know, if, if it's a Catholic church and you genuflect and you're just aware of God's presence there in a way, and you, your body automatically goes into that mode of, okay, I'm in church. This is where I talk to God. Mm. You know, you just, you have that sense. Right. And you can kind of set up something on a smaller scale in your home, mm. which is really nice. Um, and then I would say the other thing that I notice, um, there's a lot of, there's some hands-on things you can do with your children too. Um, even Playmobil sells a nativity set that um, that's really quite nice. Um, that again, if it's if it's um, if they're encouraged to what Montessori would call work with it or Cavaletti too, that you work with these materials rather than just play. That there's a seriousness to it. That it you know maybe keep it up on a shelf and say, oh, do you want to work with this and you know bring it down and and read the scripture to to um, to connect it to that word of God. Um, I think that's helpful and they can be left on their own then of course for a while, but eventually they will start, um, shift to playing with it. Um, but you have to watch that you're not intruding before that happens, if that makes sense. Um, so, but, but I think that, um, so there's, there's those kind of things you can do. And there's another book, um, I think it's called The Joyful Journey. I'd have to look it up. Um, but it is another book that t- that gives some practical advice about doing things in the home. Um, and then I was thinking, too, that one of the most important things for my husband and I and for our family has been that we don't – and this we learned, actually, from uh, Luigi Giussani, who started Communion Liberation, which is a lay movement. But – but it, it dovetails very well with all of this. Um, it, and it was because I was asking him about Maria Montessori that this came up. It was very interesting. But he said how important it was for you and your husband to pray and include the children in that prayer. But you are praying. You're not, you're not teaching them to pray painstakingly like, you know, uh, follow after me, our father. And they say our father. It's, it's more that that you and your husband are praying and they're being brought into that life of prayer. Um, and what that does is it witnesses to them that, that Jesus Christ is here and now and that, and that he's listening <laughs> and that, and that, that you depend upon another. So you, all your needs, your hopes, your, your fears, you know, these, not every single thing needs to be brought up in front of the children, of course, but, but that you, um, you know, if you have a new job or you're looking for a job, that you are praying for that. If you're looking for a house, you're praying for that. If you um, if you have friends who are sick, you're praying for that. And the children uh, really learn from the fact that you and your husband are praying. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's that's kind beautiful. Of, it's kind of different than. Um, I, I mean, it wouldn't be bad to teach them the words of the Our Father, of course, but but I just mean it's a little different than that. Um, so, yeah, so that's made a big difference. That approach has made a big difference because with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, 
one of the beautiful things is that the child is actually choosing, well, they're choosing what to work on. Now, their mother might have brought them here or their father and said, you have to go. But when they're in this prepared environment where everything around them is something that is good to work with and will help them understand a little more about one aspect or another uh, to do with God, with Christ, with the church, um, they're let free then to choose. So then they are actually choosing themselves. Their own free will is choosing something that's good and something that will um, that will inspire them, really. Um, and that's, yeah, that's that's a real good model for for being a parent too. That's beautiful. I love that. I I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the work versus play that you were mentioning. So when it, when a child's working on um, something, are they just uh, like handling the materials and observing and feeling? <laughs> is that is that the idea behind it? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just that they're not. Um, going off the rails basically. So for example, um, and you know, that, and, and also that we take seriously what they're doing. So, um, it's called catechesis of the good shepherd because the Monas, I'm sorry, Cavaletti found that the parable of the good shepherd was incredibly important to the young child, uh, the three to six year old in particular, um, that there was something about this image of Christ that spoke very deeply to the child so that when they drew pictures of the nativity, sometimes they would include something to do with the good shepherd, uh, with the, with the infant, uh, which was really intriguing. Or when she tried to explain, um, the real presence in the Eucharist, it was more effective when she talked about the real presence of the good shepherd in the Eucharist. Um, so there's been lots of different, things that people have thought about there, there are, you know, that the good shepherd calls you by name. So he knows you intimately. Um, and actually it's interesting because at first it says in the gospel of John, Christ says, I am the good shepherd, but it doesn't say who the sheep are. And so the child is given the scripture and the materials They're you know, a shepherd with sheep and a sheepfold. Um, and they, they aren't told who the sheep are. They're asked who the sheep are. Are these the sheep in the fields that, that you might see on a farm? And always a child will say, yes, they do look like that. And another child will say, no, I don't think so. And you're, you want them to discover on their own who these sheep are, because when they come to realize that they're one of the sheep and that the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life and has laid down his life for them, it has more meaning mm. that, you know, that he he cares so much for them that he provides them with food and shelter and protection and, and goes to find them when they're lost and carries them on his shoulders. Um, so they, they have that, um, yeah, they have that image very strongly there, but I feel like I got off the track of what question you asked. (laughs) No, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. I think, um, that that answered my question. So that, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask you, cause we've met, talked a little bit about age groups and, um, so if Catechesis of the Good Shepherd ends at, did you say 12 or 13? 12. Okay, yeah, 12. 12. So then is there some kind of, I guess, I'm not sure maybe what you've done in your own home, or is there like a follow-up, mm-hmm. or is it at that point really the child's ready to 
you know, have a more established prayer life. And I guess I'm just yeah, wondering think, about the progression. Yeah, I actually, um, I have not done the nine to 12 year old age group. I've had, as in, I've had children that age in my group, but I've sort of done six to 12 sometimes. Okay. Um, but um, I think the idea is that at that point, they're ready for, yeah, full participation in the church. That could include being part of a youth group. It could include a Bible study. It could include, uh, you know, lots of different things, things to read. Um, but there isn't anything uh, prepared for through Catechesis of the Good Shepherd for those age, that age group. But they've sure, learned an sense. incredible amount at that point, too. And right. it becomes it's a kind of learning where um, it, it really becomes part of them. So, but only I've noticed, um, so the last three years, in fact, I think it's four years now, um, going into the fourth year, uh, we, I have been doing this at my parish. And before that, I had been doing it with a group of friends um, where the catechesis at home was already very strong. In the parish setting, it's been uh, more uneven, the amount of catechesis the children have had. Um, It makes a big difference. It makes more difference, of course, to the child what's done at home than what's done in the atrium, always. I mean, you know, we know that from all sorts of experience, right? Um, But the, the children particularly the children who have a lot of catechesis at home, they can jump in a little more deeply, a little more quickly into what's being offered. The nice thing is that because all of the children are really working at their own pace, you can have children of different um, levels of understanding in the same room and they'll all be learning, but at different levels. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of neat too. Yeah. That's very neat. That's great. So what benefits and growth have you seen um, in your own children from, from this program? And then I don't know if you wanted to add something else. I, oh, I didn't mean to cut you off no, if there's no, something you thought no, of. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I think I mentioned to you over email that I could really talk about this all day. <laughs> and I, That's great. I, I, don't, I, do, I love it. I've loved it for so many years now. It's, you know, 25 years I've been doing this. Um, and, and I'm always amazed by, so it, Honestly, the best part of the atrium time for me, it, well, for any teacher, it really, it's it's when your student gets something, when you see that they understand something. But it happens at the atrium, the end of the time that we have together. So we do a presentation, and then they have work time, and they can work on different things. And you're guiding them then, too, because often a child will want to work on something they haven't been shown, so you can decide whether to show them or whether they're not ready and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so you're you're busy all of that time as well as they are at the end of the time we gather at the prayer table and one of the children depending the ages of the children three to six year olds aren't quite ready to do this but six to nine year olds are they prepare the prayer time they decide what prayer we want to say i have a i have a list for them to choose from so it's it's again carefully crafted to choose among you know good options but They can choose a reading, they can choose a prayer, they can choose to to decide when we do, to to whether or not to do petitions or prayers of thanksgiving, um, and a song that we might sing at the beginning and another one at the end. And all of this takes 
somewhere between five and 10 minutes. Um, so they, they ring a bell to gather the children. And then the adult participates with the children as one of the parishioners, so to speak, one of the, one of the sheep. And, um, and you, um, it, there's a great moment where we've done this, we've had this tradition of have, taking a crucifix and you pass it along and it's, you know, it's your turn when you have the crucifix. And they have this beautiful respect for each other, uh, you know, a real sense of prayer, quiet. Uh, a lot of times they won't say anything out loud, but we're really lucky when they do say something out loud. So, you know, they might say, um, it, they just, it's really prayer. It's really from the heart. And they'll say, you know, oh, thank you for my time in the atrium. They might say, you know, please, Lord, help my my grandmother who's dying. But they but they're really genuine prayers and, it, you know, a real sense of of the church alive and well <laughs> in that in that moment. And it's and that's just really beautiful. So I that's one of the things one of the things that's really that, you know, that what they're doing has had an effect um, as far as having the effect at home with my own children. Um, I've noticed the kind of questions they ask when they're little before they learn how to be quiet at mass. <laughs> um, <laughs> they ask a lot of good questions. Um, mm -hmm. And so they've learned to pay attention. Uh, their ears perk up when they hear uh, a parable or a, a scripture or even the name of a city uh, from the Holy Land that they've heard in the atrium. So there's a work called the City of Jerusalem that has the uh, buildings and walls particularly the buildings of the passion. So it's a way to tell the passion narrative. And so they hear, um, you know, the cynical or the upper room, they hear Caiaphas's house, they hear, you know, uh, various things from the passion, uh, the Mount of Olives, uh, and Garden of Gethsemane, all those things. So they, um, when they're at mass then, and they hear that they might look up at you and you know that it's because they recognize it and they're, and they're associating it then in their mind with, they think, oh, I know what's going on here, you know, and they and then they, they can listen better. They can hear they hear the word as it's proclaimed in church and they can really um, get more out of it that way. So that's that's been really beautiful. And they also um, I definitely have noticed in my own children that there's a certain. Again, I don't know. I, I couldn't say for sure that this is from Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, but I would say the fact that we. Um, they they take their own faith for granted. It's it's like breathing for them that they have faith. And again, I I can't you know one can never claim credit for that. I, I wouldn't want to claim any credit for that. But in a way, um, I think it has made a difference. And again, of course, that could also change. <laughs> I feel like I'm. Um, I wouldn't want to be superstitious, but I, I wouldn't want to say that, you know, I've been successful in this sure, either. No, I know what you mean. Um, mm -hmm. But they have this sense of, um, you know, they might, they might find difficulties or, or not want to go to mass on a particular day, but they never are thinking that it isn't what it is, that mass is something that the church asks them to go to, that it's something that, you know, includes this mystery of the sacrifice, um, it, they have because the the knowledge that they've been given, but also that they've chosen, and I think that makes a difference. That they're they're already choosing at a young age, like I said, these things to work on and and 
Um, so their, their free will is engaged as part of that. Does that make sense? Mm, it does. So, so I think then that, that, um, that they consider it part of who they are, not that they couldn't rebel. Of course, um, we all could, but, but that it's somehow, um, it, it wouldn't be in a stupid way. <laughs> I guess any rebellion would be stupid, <laughs> but <laughs> but in any case, it, it it wouldn't be in a flippant way, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. How it's so integral. It's just yeah, a part of themselves. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I don't think it's the atrium alone. I think it's it, you know, like I said, I've seen in other children. You know, when the catechesis is strong at home, it's what the it, the parents are absolutely the primary educators of their children and the, and the sure. example that the children look to time and time and time again. So it, it might enhance what's being done at home, but it couldn't, um, you know, if what's being done at home is contradictory, it would be hard to, it would be hard to um, combat that with something, you know, an hour a week or two hours a week even. Right. That makes sense. Uh, so for women listening to this who are interested in catechesis for the Good Shepherd for their children, um, I know there's a website you can go to to search for an atrium. Is that correct? To see if there's one yes. nearby? Yes. Okay, wonderful. I'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes so people can um, can go to that and, and see. Do you happen to know it off the top of your head? Um, I think it's the, the letters cgsusa.org. Okay, wonderful. And I'll um, double check that and put it in the show notes as well. Great. Um, wonderful. So Ruth, how have you seen the Lord at work in your life over the last year? Hmm. Well, one of the things I'm kind of amazed at is how strong a prayer the rosary is. Um, I noticed that that when, I, when I'm very intent on praying that for a particular thing that God answers the prayer, not always as I expect him to or want him to, but, but it's clear that it's been answered. Um, there's also been things like, um, well, for example, <laughs> just the fact that you asked me to do this, there was something, uh, I'm trying to think when it was, it wasn't that long ago, maybe two months ago, maybe three. Um, a friend of mine got asked to speak on something and I thought, Oh, I haven't ever been asked to speak on anything. I would like to be asked to speak on something. I could talk about catechesis of the good shepherd. No one ever asked me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, perfect. Yeah. I was, you know, whining in my own head and God was listening and saying, yes, that's okay. I can give you that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was a beautiful thing. And, um, and even also I had been thinking also because, you know, here I am, uh, grandmother young on the for the grandmother age but um but at a you know a different stage of life than than you are and feeling like um it's not exactly a midlife crisis because I have a you know a wonderful husband who supports me and I have wonderful children and I have you know a lot to do and I have my faith but but that sense of wow I here I am and I'm you know, just over 50 years old. And what have I done with my life? What have I, I, you know, this feeling of that you haven't done enough or that you, um, you know, what's the purpose of it all that, that kind of midlife crisis in in that sense. Um, and again, not, I mean, I don't really mean to say a real crisis for me, but, but feeling sorry for yourself really is the, (laughs) is the pathetic. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and I, and I thought, you know, 
gosh, people, again, the, the idea of, you know, being asked to speak about it, I, because I have spoken about it before, but many years ago, um, about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So that was one aspect. But the other aspect was that, um, you know, that I hadn't been asked to be a godmother for a while. And lo and behold, in this past um, year, two different children asked me to be their confirmation sponsors. (laughs) So (laughs) it was just really a a beautiful tenderness on God's part that he, you know, that he heard that (laughs) whining (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and he thought, you know, it's okay. You're, you're still doing, you're still doing good here. You're still, you're, you know, keep up the good work was kind of how I took it, you know, like recognize, um, you know, that, that other people were, you know, these two young ladies who uh, they were, um, they're both uh, finishing their sophomore year in high school. So not exactly children, more young ladies, but that they would, um, that they would ask me means that they recognized that, you know, something in me that I wasn't seeing anymore, which was really nice. (laughs) That's beautiful. I love that. And uh, what would you say is your favorite part of your home and why? Um, I'm torn between my bed and my kitchen. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> yeah. Real bodily, bodily needs. Um, so mm-hmm. I, the kitchen is a wonderful place that I spend a huge amount of my time. I, we have our prayer corner in there. So we do our homeschooling at the kitchen table. We have family dinner there every night. We have um, when my older children are here with the grandchildren, that's the big gathering spot. I like to cook. There's all of that going on there. Um, and if I, you know, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel the need to pray, I come out to the kitchen and pray at my, in my prayer corner there. So it's, that's a real heart of the home for me, but also the bedroom. And that's partly, I know one of the things, um, that, that you ask is, you know, the, the mom hack, uh, you know, sort of thing. And the bedroom is kind of that because the, um, I noticed that, especially among people who really are eager to do this right, <laughs> to being a wife and a mother and all of that and make a home, um, that they don't always take time to be peaceful and quiet. Uh, and particularly now when we, uh, when many people have internet on their phones, um, that, you know, if they go to nurse the child to sleep for a nap, um, they might take their phone with them and then they're, you know, they're scrolling through things on the internet. Um, there's, there's a real, one of the reasons that, you know, my, one of my favorite places is my bed is because for all the years that I had young children and even now, uh, on many days, but for all the years that I had young children, I would get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or if it's too hot, maybe iced tea or something. Um, mm-hmm. I do appreciate the caffeine in the afternoon. And and at you know one or two o'clock in the afternoon, I would go in and I would nurse the baby to sleep. I would have a good book and you know and a good drink and be comfortable in my bed. Your feet are up. You're really resting. The baby would fall asleep. Sometimes I would doze off for depending how tired I was, 15 minutes power nap to a two hour nap with the with the baby, um, and and wake up rejuvenated um, and not frazzled, which I find if I, uh, if I go on the internet and, you know, I'm that, that idea of sort of scrolling through lots of information, you don't have the same sense of peace and uh, being 
filled. And the book should be a good book, you know, and, and it could also be a time of prayer uh, where, you know, the idea is to, to um, yeah, to, to connect with reality in a way that's, um, yeah, deep and peaceful, I guess, a kind of awareness. So that's beautiful. I really love that. That's really yeah, beautiful. Very important. And the other, the other mom yeah. hack that I had that was sort of related to that was, um, and, and again, that one is even good if, even if it's only 15 or 20 minutes and your, your children who aren't napping anymore know not to come in unless it's 911, you know, just, yeah. I, need, I need 20 minutes. <laughs> no questions, mm. just, just answers from God, you know, mm. or, That's or just, great. or just a good book to read, even if it's a novel instead of spiritual work. But, um, the other one that kind of goes with that is when my children were very little, um, I had Saturday mornings off. Uh, so my husband would be in charge of the children Saturday morning till, till lunchtime. I could get up as early or as late as I wanted. I could leave the house, um, which was usually the best thing to do with the little ones. And, you know, I might be do something like menu planning, or I might do something like go get a cup of coffee or meet with a friend. Or, um, at one point it was getting catechesis of the good shepherd training. Um, but it was very, uh, it was a very good way to step back and get a, a better perspective on the big picture of what you're doing as a mom and a wife um, making a home. So I, I can highly recommend both those things um, as a way to keep your focus and enjoy life. <laughs> that's so, that's so great. And I, I find even for myself, I don't have anything really regularly. Well, I guess the podcast for, for me on Fridays when I'm, you know, away from my kids for a time and I always mm-hmm. come back just so much more refreshed and ready to love them better because yes. I just needed that time to be away just for a little bit and um, just recoup and refresh. So yeah. I love that idea of just having maybe a Saturday morning to just get away for a little bit. And yeah, th- th- I and love it, that. That's of great. course, it doesn't have to be Saturday morning. It has to work with whatever your schedule is, but Sure. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Wonderful. And then my last question for you is what have you been loving recently? Um, actually I've been loving your podcasts, which has been great. I've been listening to a oh, few of them, thank which has you. been a lot of fun. And uh, and like I said, I got that little book of Huga, which was really fun. Um but also um I've been loving uh Elizabeth Gooch novels. Have you ever read any of those? No, I haven't. So the last name is spelled G O U D G E. So it looks like okay. gouge, looks like gouge, but it, it's British. She's a British author, and the British always pronounce everything funny, so it's googe. And <laughs> <laughs> um, they're really wonderful. I love reading novels that include aspects of faith. Um, so and and she's very good at that. Uh, she wrote. I don't know. I feel like into the 1950s, 60s, maybe, but she's passed away now. Um, so she's modern, but not super modern. <laughs> um, telephones and not cell phones, you know, usually with my children, right. I say, oh, yeah, it's horses and carriages, not cars. But now it's, you know, <laughs> slightly different distinction of telephones, not cell phones. Um, That's and good. she writes a lot about her novels, you know, they all have their own plot, um, of course, but, but the background themes are, um, about the home, about what it means to make a home, about what a family is and, you know, about sin and suffering, about 
uh, all sorts of things that are just beautiful themes to think about. Uh, and I've gotten most of them at the library. I do own a few, but but my library and probably yours might have several of them. So those have been really great to, I'm, I'm sort of rereading them now. I read them uh, first starting maybe 25 years ago. And so I've been picking them back up again, which has been great. That's, that's great. I'll have to add those to my list. I, um, I was on a kind of a kick of reading um, several uh, nonfiction books, but I was just telling my husband, I'm ready to read some more fiction books because I I feel like I need, you know, when you read a lot of a certain type of book, you're ready for a little bit of a change. So um, I'll look into that. Well, Ruth, thank you so much for coming on today. I just um, have received so much from this and I'm I'm really grateful for you sharing and telling us a little bit about your life as well. So thanks for being here. You're welcome. That's been great talking. Thank you. Let me go ahead and close this in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, all the women listening today. Thank you for our families. I pray today, God, that you would give us the grace to love our children well and and teach us to show them your love, Lord. And we pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Hi, friends. Thanks so much for listening in today. This chat with Ruth really inspired me in a lot of ways. The way I approach talking about prayer and mass with my kids, setting up a special prayer space in our home, and really incorporating our kids into prayer times. We're also signing up our four-year-old Lucy for Catechesis of the Good Shepherd at a nearby atrium. But even if you're not able to do Catechesis of the Good Shepherd outside the home, I love how Ruth mentioned that what really makes a great impact is not the one to two hours a week, but how your family lives and prays every day. I hope you found some encouragement here today. Thanks again for listening in. Until next time, you all are in my prayers. God bless.